Welcome to Redemption Unscripted. On this podcast, you will hear unscripted conversation to help you know Jesus, grow in your relationship with Him, and go advance His kingdom. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of Redemption Unscripted. I'm your host, Austin, one of the pastors here at Redemption. And with me on the mics today, as always, we have Rick, our lead pastor. How are you doing today, Rick? I am particularly good today because of the next person you're about to introduce. That is right. And with us, we have a guest. A lot of times we have a staff member at Redemption, but we have one of our friends, someone we love, and that is Brendan Glass, a senior pastor from Span Ministries. So, Brendan, how you doing, man? I am happy to be yeah. with my friends again, man. This is ready to have a conversation, ready to roll. Let's do this. I love it. I love it. Good Thanks. to have you, brother. Hey, man, I'm excited to be here. This is home. Yeah. So. Well, we love I'll having I'll take you. that. That's right. Well, we are going to dive into an important topic, a topic a lot of people right now are talking about, rightfully so, and, and we want to make sure we dive into that as well. And that's the topic of racism. Now, last month, you guys had a Q&A here at our church, mm-hmm. um, and so we had tons of questions come in. I mean, you guys spent a lot of time uh, having that conversation. I know it was a huge blessing to both our churches um, and people that were tuning in online or in person. Um, and so we're going to continue that conversation today. And it was kind of funny because we were debating, Pastor Brennan, whether it would be an hour long or maybe an hour and a half. Okay. And you and I were up there for two hours. It was two hours. Now, I mean, granted, we did some worship at the beginning and all that, and, and we only got to like maybe five, six, seven of the questions, and we got over a hundred questions. So wow. there's still a lot of meat left on the table, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this episode be about racism, to continue that conversation. If you're listening to this and you didn't get a chance to watch that Q&A, we will put a link to it in our show notes um, so you can go back and watch that, because uh, like I said, we're going to continue that conversation today. So, uh, And also, let me just tag on to that as well. Thank you, brother. Yeah. That, that, that is a good amount of effort and time that you came, and I... I I assume that both of our bodies were blessed by that. I assume the kingdom of God is blessed. But uh, for you to take your time and uh, once again go to shoulder to shoulder with me, you know how much I value that, love that, enjoy doing it with you, and I'm blessed by our partnership in that. So thanks for doing it, brother. Well, you're very welcome, and um, it's very necessary. Amen. It's very necessary, and it's something that God is calling me to do in this season of my life. So uh, I am, I'm here to answer that call. So anytime the call is uh, given out, I will be there to receive it. Because I believe I texted you and said, I need you. Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for answering that text. (laughs) Always. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, let's let's dive in. So some of these questions and some of these thoughts are going to come from that Q&A we didn't get to. So uh, so let's just dive into the first one. Um, And the first question Mm -hmm. that that we kind of want to throw out there is, you know, is there one race or multiple races? So people ask this in different ways, but is there one race? Is there multiple? What are your guys' thoughts on that? How would you respond uh, to people who may be wondering that? Well, first and foremost, this is uh, this is all radio, so let me, for everyone who does not know, I'm a black man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> good, good point, good point. Uh, so let's just start there. I'm an African-American male, um, and I'm going to go beyond the poetic answer. Um, we have a poetic answer. Well, yeah, we're all one race. And there's one race, the human race, which is very, very true. I'm not going to take away from that. Mm -hmm. But I also want to add that uh, this point that is very important that people often miss, and that is we are truly one race. 
we are all sourced back to one race. And we are all sourced back to being people from the continent of Africa. So we are all literally the descendants of Africans. So you're saying I'm an African-American? You are a very yes. light African. Yeah. <laughs> that very mo- light, very light. Very light. <laughs> Your melanin count is not as high as mine. <laughs> no, no. Certain ancestors moved a little bit further away from the equator, and that's what kind of created the genetic changes mm-hmm. that makes us different. But we are all truly all one race, and what we, do, what we have so, done— So you're saying you're OG— well, I'm not going to say I'm OG. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm OG. I'm, I'm going to say that my people stay closer to the equator right than on, yours right <laughs> right <laughs> for a little bit longer time. Um, so, yeah, we are truly one race. And, I, you know, I, I want us to really understand that, mm-hmm. uh, not, just, you know, not just poetically, but anthropologically. We mm-hmm. are really just one race with some different genetic changes over the last, you know, through, through, uh, throughout human evolution. So yeah, and one race. it's an important point because I, I preached a sermon recently that talked about being made in the image of God. Yeah. And so when it comes to focusing on these issues of racism, to realize that, yes, we are all simply human. We are, there is one human race. We are all made in the image of God. We're all equal. And then there's implications that flow from that as far as how we should treat each other. Exactly. And that's an important part of the discussion. Very of much. course, we sometimes encounter that comment to almost diffuse or distract from the discussion about racism. So why are we talking about racism, Pastor Brennan, if there's only one race? Because, Take it from there, brother. Oh, <laughs> simply, yeah, uh, because humanity's jacked up <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, it would be nice if we had the ability to say, wow, you are another human being with a different skin complexion, and that's okay. That doesn't make a big deal. That doesn't make a difference. But because humanity is so jacked up, we're looking for ways to separate ourselves as opposed to coming together. And it seems like that's kind of been the historical way of humanity since the beginning. Um, How can we, and sometimes not even intentional, just how can we just separate? You know, what can I do that's going to separate me from you? And, you know, what are ways that I can put myself in a position over you? And one way that we discover was skin tone, skin color. So because this beautiful thing called diversity was placed in dirty hands, diversity got dirty. And so somebody's all bunged up because, wait, there's just one race. Fine, call it skin colorism. (laughs) But either way, God has injected into the one human race beautiful diversity. diversity. And we've turned that diversity into something uh, very oppressive and negative, and and we need to deal with that. And we call that racism. So Mm -hmm. so we have uh, some... uh, Majority culture uh, oppressing a minority culture, and in that, that's racism. That is the definition of racism, um, very clearly put. The only thing I would add, please, is uh, for the purpose of maintaining power. Right. Hmm. You know, for the purpose of maintaining power is why racism was like this form of racism. Mm-hmm. Like we can always go historically and say, well, you know, it was kind of racism when, uh, you know, even when uh, <laughs> we say Jonah didn't want to go minister to the Ninevites. You know, we could say that's a form of racism. He didn't like those people <laughs> um, specifically. Uh, but when we talk about American racism, that was for the maintenance of power. That was a power decision. We're going to divide the races so those in the, you know, with a, a white skin, we can have the power over other 
uh, nationalities, other races who do not have the complexion of ours. And that's what it is. That's kind of been the legacy of racism ever since. And one of the ways, you know, you hear people, you kind of mention how when you get into those one race versus multiple, people kind of use that question sometimes to not talk about the real issue. And so another way people do that is they'll say, well, you want to talk about racism, but what's, where's the outcry on black on black crime? And we, you know, we could talk about where, you know, there's cities that have high crime rates and people want to say, well, what about that? Where's the outrage? And I just want to know, like, what do you guys, what do you think about, how do you respond to someone that kind of uses that as trying to bring that into the discussion? Well, you can't see me, uh, listening to my voice, but, you know, I kind of straightened up in my chair and I'm rubbing my hands because I'm ready to jump on this answer. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we discussed earlier, guys, um, the problem with this is how we have separated black crime out of crime. That's the overall problem um, where we say you have crime and then you have black crime and you have black on black crime when it really should just be crime. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we begin to separate out black crime from just crime? What purpose does that serve? Whose purpose does that serve? Whose agenda does that serve to where we say you have crime and you have black on black crime? And now that black on black crime, which I grew up with, is now a part of the discussion to discredit Black Lives Matter. So it's like, okay, that's one of the, that's, you know, another, you know, that kind of tells the story of why black on black crime as statistics and all this other stuff, um, why it was actually uh, something that sociologists and criminologists and even politicians began to uh, say was its own separate category. So whenever people kind of use that argument, and, you know, I'm with my friends and brothers here, so uh, mm-hmm. I will be a little bit raw when every, anybody brings that up, you know, black lives, if black lives matter, then why is black on black crime so much? Look at Chicago and all this other stuff. You know, black lives matter is really a statement or it's an idea that says the degradation of the African-American is still having long lasting effects into current society to where we do not see black skin's life of the same value as a, uh, someone with white skin. That is what Black Lives Matter. Let's change the narrative. Let's work to change the narrative so that implicit bias is not the reason that so many people with dark skin are being killed. Okay, That's what Black Lives Matter. I do not think if we were to go to Chicago and we say they're going to arrest somebody who killed, you know, they're going to arrest one black man who killed another black man. And you go in there and you say, don't you understand that, you know, black lives matter? Why did you kill this guy? I don't think he's going to say, you know what? I killed him because I don't like black people. (laughs) I killed him because I've always hated black people my entire life. Or I killed him because I think that all black people are gangsters. Or I think all black people are criminals. He didn't kill him because he was black. (laughs) And that's the argument with Black Lives Matter. The argument with Black Lives Matter is people are dying because they are black. So, yes. Dude, that's a great... Great point. And one of the things that sometimes occurs to my heart when I hear that objection, that if you really, if black lives really mattered, if you really cared about the death of black people, what about Chicago? And what about black on black crime? Sometimes I feel like it's it's a diversion. It's an intentional diversion. It's a dodge because uh, we can be concerned about both. And, And so are we concerned about high crime rates in Chicago? Absolutely. 
do we need to, by using that argument, divert our attention from racial injustice and racial oppression? I don't think we do. And we can be concerned about both. But the, the diversion is an interesting one because what it focuses on is black criminality, right? And so it, it, by trying to avoid the discussion about implicit bias, mm -hmm. what I'm going to put on the table is don't you understand that the black man is so criminal? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Right? And exactly. so, so it, it is actually affirming the very implicit bias that we are trying to address. Exactly. Um, I know we talked about this at the... Um, the programming that we did, but I, I would definitely encourage people to watch 13th um, on Netflix. That special really talks about that and it discusses um, just the intentional political strategy to criminalize the African-American community and to make it so, yeah, you have crime, but it's black on black crime that is so much more heinous, so much more extreme. And, you know, people really need to get an understanding on that so we can stop doing this, stop, that is, stop operating in this continued tradition of segregation where we segregate out black crime from white crime. <laughs> crime is a problem all over this country, all over America. Absolutely. And the issue is when we get into that, you know, well, black lives and why, well, y'all don't care, you don't really care about black lives because you aren't dealing with black crime and all this other stuff, you gotta be really careful. Because what the implication could be there, as long as you separate it out, is black men are more violent. So I have to be careful when people are asking those questions because the people are flirting with those statements. Why are your people so violent? Why are your people so violent against each other if black lives really matter, you know? So that's where you got to really be careful. And, um, yeah, I, I agree 100% uh, with you, Rick. It's, it's not so much about that, you know, that's a distraction. And we got to understand the reality and the issue is there's, there are deaths that are a result of racial injustice. Hmm. That's what matters about. And certainly the, the, when we back up another step, we as pastors teach the depravity of man. And so the reality is, are black people violent? Well, at times, yes. Are white people violent? At times, yes. Like, all of us have the propensity towards sin within us, and all of us are very broken people. And we, we've seen that in white Appalachia, where there is a lot of poverty, where there's poverty. A lot of times drugs comes in. When, when drugs come in, then crime goes up. And what you have is white on white crime. You have white people killing white people. And so a lot of the times the issue with something like Chicago is one of proximity, that, that when you have a very oppressed, impoverished people with, with little opportunity and lots of drugs living next to each other, homicide goes up. And if the most of the culture there is black, well, then and it's not blacks kill black, but you go to Appalachia and whites kill whites. And so it's not a black problem. It's a human problem. It's called depravity. That's exactly what it is. I mean, in every honest criminologist will tell you that's what it is. It's like, why is there so much, you know, you know, actually, you know, obviously per, by percentage, you know, black on black crime is higher than white on white crime by percentage, you know, um, but that's a proximity thing. It's a proximity thing. Um, and when people are willing to look at the statistics honestly and without, um, without their, you know, their preconceived notions that they want to articulate. You can see that. 
But if you go into this with your biases that I just want to prove that black people are just violent, then, yeah, the, the numbers and statistics will look that particular way. But you have to know what's the why behind it. And that's what you're addressing. That's what you're talking about right there. What do you know about criminology? Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's what I graduated with. Yep. That's awesome. Well, Brendan, one of the things you mentioned a couple of times in your responses, and, and it's the Black Lives Matter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. obviously right now, I mean, you, you see it all over social media, and people are using that phrase, rightfully so. And, and I've heard even, you know, prominent pastors online kind of say, you know, we support the idea, not the movement. And, mm-hmm. and some people may not even know it is a movement. Mm-hmm. You know, they think it's just a hashtag maybe. So so what is kind of the difference, I mean, the idea versus the movement and and can you support one over the other? Should you? Um, yeah, I think some people are just not yeah. informed by it, and yeah. it's a popular thing on social media, but really, what does it mean? So let's just, you know, if, if, if we as Christians in the body of Christ say, you know what? We reject Black Lives Matter because of other attachments to it. We reject Black Lives Matter because... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we hear that, you know, some people in the movement, you know, they're for uh, the destruction of the nuclear family or because they're Marxist or because all that other stuff. And we then, you know, I, I, we're kind of hypocritical to a certain extent um, because let's talk about Christmas and how we traditionally celebrate Christmas. And when we really talk about what the origin and the roots and the traditions of Christmas is, you know, most of us here I'm still going to celebrate on December 25th. <laughs> right. You know, um, and I was talking to Bishop Johnson earlier um, as my spiritual mentor and just in all of these matters. And he says, especially, you know, when you think about um, and this is going to be, you know, I might get this one deleted out. We'll see if this we, makes we can cut. edit. So it's okay. Okay. <laughs> this might get edited out. But when you look at, you know, how many white evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump in spite of all of the negativity that was associated with him around the time of his election. Everything from, you know, uh, just uh, little small, little racist comments to uh, the misogynistic comments, all of that. But still, everything else over here makes it okay. You know, so I say, well, if you apply the same test to Black Lives Matter, you know, there is truth in the idea. And that idea was not birthed by Black Lives Matter. They just put a hashtag in front of it. But the idea that we need to elevate the status of how we perceive and value African Americans and people of uh, people with brown skin in this country, you know, that is an idea that goes all the way back to 1619 when the first slaves came over right. this country. And the abolitionists are like, no, this is not right. This is not good. They just put a hashtag in front of it. They're just the ones who kind of uh, have 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 given it uh, a platform in this time. Now, does that mean that if there is a Black Lives Matter uh, rally for the destruction of every Chick-fil-A in Northeast Ohio, I'm going to support that? No. <laughs> I'm not supporting Don't that. Don't mess with Chick-fil-A. No, I'm not messing with Chick-fil-A. I'm hey, not doing Pastor that. Ben, so uh, running sound right now is TJ, huge Chick-fil-A guy. Austin, huge Chick-fil-A guy. So he, like, 
Trump, you thought you were stepping in with Trump? No, okay, Chick-fil-A. Chick we'll delete the Chick-fil-A part. Okay, we'll delete that one. <laughs> well, but that's the example. Like, no, so I, can, I, can, I can support the idea. I can, I can promote the idea, and it does not necessarily that I am, um, you know, attaching myself to every component and aspect of that particular movement. And for us to say that the entire idea or even the entire movement uh, needs to be uh, nullified because of some of the attachments to it, well, that kind of makes us a little hypocritical. In you my know, opinion. I think it's, brother, great, great point. And uh, I don't think we are going to need to edit that out. Because, <laughs> and here's why because you did not. Uh, endorse nor attack Trump. That was not your point. And we, we as a church, we don't endorse uh, candidates nor attack candidates. We go with issues, not candidates. And your your point was simply that. And I gotta admit, I I know a lot of white conservative Christians that kind of held their nose and voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. And the point is that they were able to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. They were saying, okay, I like this. I don't like this. I agree. Mm -hmm. I don't like mm -hmm. this. I don't like that. But I'm going to vote here. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're just saying, hey, we've got that propensity in us. We've done that. Yeah. So, so why not, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, why can we say, yeah, they are attaching themselves to the homosexual issue. There's some Marxism. There is uh, some anarchy. If you go to their website and donate, like I wouldn't encourage people personally to right. donate to BLM's website. It gets funneled to one particular party's uh, candidates and campaigns. But I also strongly believe that black lives matter. Exactly. And like I said, that's an idea. I say that over and over and over again. Black Lives Matter is an idea that is what has, you know, just just catapulted this movement into the forefront of all of our minds. And that is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. We have more white people that are protesting for racial issues now than ever before in history. All over the world. Why? Because of the hashtag. <laughs> not because of the founders of the movement, not because of their speeches, not because of any of that, not even because of their protests, but because of that phrase and that idea. So as long as we stay focused on that, I think we all can agree that it's not a problem. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. And even, Rick, you, you got a birthday present recently. You want to <laughs> tell everybody about that? Maybe a rocket on a Sunday? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, how'd you hear about that? Did I tell you about that? You literally told me. I told you about that. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so I recently turned 50, and for one of my birthday presents, uh, I got a awesome shirt from my wife uh, that says Black Lives Matter. Yes. And, uh, but you want me to tell you the story of when I first wore it. So first time, it's up to you. I mean, we can edit first, it out or first keep time it out. out of the house. Uh, Caleb wanted, uh, I think, for Father's Day because that Father's Day was the next day. Caleb wanted to buy me a new set of drill bits. My drill bits are getting dull and old, and so Dad, I want to take you. So we were headed out to a big box hardware store to get uh, Caleb and me together, and I happened to be wearing my Black Lives Matter shirt for the first time out of the house. Uh, and it is the store that I always go to. I'm a fix-it handyman. I, I'm mm -hmm. good to go. Love this store. Uh, and maybe coincidence, maybe, worst service I've ever gotten in my life. Mm. Uh, 
first the guy wouldn't make eye contact with us. He, he was with some customers laughing, jawing it up, helping them, wouldn't make eye contact. I'm saying, I said, hey, so which drill bits? Are these better or are these better? Two different kinds. And, uh, and he said, I, I just don't know. Oh. Well, is there, uh, is there anyone here at the store then that might know? Uh, you would need somebody that does a lot of drilling. Dude, I'm at a hardware store. Like, I've never had that before. Now, perhaps coincidence, uh, but first time out wearing the shirt. Now, here's the thing I knew. If indeed that was some discrimination towards me because I was wearing a shirt that says Black Lives Matter, I knew I could go home and take the shirt off. There you mm. go. Yeah. And where you can't go home and take your skin off. Mm. Exactly. That's a powerful story. Uh, we'll just say that it was because of the shirt from now on uh, <laughs> to make a good point. <laughs> uh, but all seriously, I mean, but I, we, we have seen the uh, video clips of white kids wearing Black Lives Matter in Southern Ohio. I don't know if y'all saw that clip. In mm -hmm. Southern Ohio, just get punched. And, you know, these white kids are being abused by white people because they're associating, associating themselves with the black movement. Well, guess what? That is not unique. Hmm. That is not new. Between like 1870 and 1956, I think, in this country, we had close to 4,000 lynchings. 4,000 lynchings. Of that 4,000 lynchings, I think like 1,300 of them were white people. Hmm. People don't know that. Hmm. White people who have associated themselves with the black movement and targeted by the Ku Klux Klan. So, yeah. That's Brother, this is why I love doing these things with you. This is not our first rodeo together. Right. We've gotten to share <laughs> stages together and do this a lot, and I'm always learning. So there's something I did not know so yeah. far, and yet you taught me again today, and I'm grateful. Amen. Well, yeah. You need to know that. I mean, this is not a... Wait, this I think you just taught me that I could be lynched at any time. Yes. I think maybe I'm not so <laughs> it's grateful. It's good to know. It's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> just be mindful. Yeah. <laughs> I had Caleb with me, so it was good. Okay. <laughs> he's he's a big boy. It's your bodyguard. <laughs> well, one of the things, guys, I would love for us to kind of even spend the rest of this episode talking about, I mean, a lot of people, they agree with a lot of what we're saying. I mean, even if it's new information, I mean, they're, they're hearing this. But the question comes up a lot is, what do I do now? So, you know, I stand with my brothers and sisters of color. Um, I know this is a problem. I want to do something about it. But, but what in the world... Mm -hmm. Do I do? Um, so, what would you say? What What are some? You know, we got some practical questions to get into, but but initially, what would we say to those people? And oh, uh, so when I was here a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. awesome time, awesome people, love this church, love my people. Um, afterwards, you know, we were uh, fellowshipping, congregating, breaking all the social distance rules, and <laughs> <laughs> edit that out. We, um, we might have to. <laughs> <laughs> edit that out. Um, and, you know, a young lady comes up to me, and she was just so touched and so emotional about the experience. And she said, I learned so much. There is so much I didn't know. And she said something that blew my mind. She said, I had no idea who Jim Crow was before tonight. Hmm. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? My parents were affected by Jim Crow. There are policies that are in America right now that are the direct result of Jim Crow. I just had 
um, Father's Day dinner with my dad down at the house. And he told me of a story where him and his brother went to a swimming pool to go swimming. And there was a guy there with a 22 rifle that said, you guys can't swim here. And there was a sign, no niggers. And this was in Cleveland. And the first thing that people really have to understand in order to really be able to be impactful is you got to get educated. Like, I, as an African-American male, I go around and I, stuff is so normal to me that I assume that it's normal for everyone. It's understanding for everyone. I just assume everybody knows what Jim Crow is and what it represents. So the first thing you got to do is you got to get educated. You have to know what it is because in these particular times, especially if you are white, it will be easy for you to be uh, caught up in the moment and then easily snatched out of the movement. Hmm. because of lack of education. Because all it takes is one person to give you some miseducation to make you think things like white privilege isn't real, systemic racism isn't real, you know, that stuff is in the past. And if you don't have the educate to undergird, you know, what you desire to do for in the movement, you will be snatched out of that really quick or you won't be able to handle what you went through at the store. You know, you, if you don't have someone, you don't have the education and you don't have what's even more important, the relationships hmm. that, wow, this is what my brothers and sisters go through. You know, you won't be there long. You right. won't You're going to sprint in a marathon. You're hmm. going to be out. So you got to have the education or it's going to seem like we're just making this stuff up. We're just pulling it out the air and we're just making it up because, you know, we are, are, are trying to get a free ride or, you know, African-Americans are trying to uh, get something for nothing. Education is the first thing. The second thing is relationships. And brother, before yes. you jump to relationships, if I may, so it, it, it's interesting. Your, your answer, part of the question is, now that we're educated, what should we do? And your first answer is get more education. Get more education. Yeah, because we're not educated. And so mm-hmm. we got a sniff, we got a taste, and we need to add to that. And so to read some good books, to watch some movies, we have a... On our website, we have a page for racial reconciliation. We mm-hmm. have some books we suggest there. Uh, 13th is one of the movies. Mm-hmm. We just put up a movie section recently. And uh, so to continue to add to our education. Yeah. So it's an interest. So after education, what do we do? Get, Get more, more education. education. All right. But then relationships. Well, just Please. to go with that, you mm-hmm. know, because I did a podcast um, before mm-hmm. and I explained how I think it's Acts 22, um, Paul was uh, speaking, or he was about to speak in front of a crowd. And the crowd, you know, they're his countrymen, they're, you know, Hebrews, and, you know, they didn't want to hear from him. You know, we, we're making noise and we're trying to distract him. And, you know, we don't, you know, he's one of those Jesus, you know, crazy followers. Um, you know, he's nobody, he's nothing. And he um, began to speak, the Bible says, in his Hebrew dialect. He spoke in his Hebrew dialect to people calmed down and got quiet because they realized, oh, you're one of us. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be a part of the movement, you have to be able to speak the language of the oppressed. If you want to be effective, you have to be able to speak that language. They have to be able to hear you. You have to be able to realize that you are truly an ally. You're not just somebody who is doing something to satisfy your need to feel unracist right now. Appease my white guilt. Appease my white guilt. We're not asking for that. So, yes, that's what the education, you got to know. So what you did 
Rick, is in that moment, you uh, got to a place where you says, man, I am now able to see what it's like. You can give that analogy and, and your follow-up was perfect. And white brothers and sisters are going to be like, you are truly compassionate for this particular movement, but you got to get educated. That's the important part of it. I mean, I can talk about so many things that are going to rile up emotion, so many things that will make you really look at your country different. I can go and talk and talk and talk to say, wow, this country really has, has a problem with racism. And that is what will motivate change. That is what will motivate us to make this more than just a moment of emotional reaction to what's happening in the news. Right, because we've got 400 years of problem. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be changed in a couple months. And so we need to pace ourselves for a marathon and not sprint. And therefore, education undergirds love it, brother. You are about to speak about relationships. Yes. Relationships is how we apply the education. Hmm. Um, if you do not have the relationships, then you are just a historian. Hmm. If you don't have the relationships, then you are just a commentator. If you don't have the relationships, then you are just an individual um, that just found a new area or discipline that you enjoy studying. Um, what the relationships do is the relationships give you the opportunity to actually get your hands dirty. Relationships is what gives you the opportunity to actually uh, put your hands to the plow and progress towards something. At a certain point in time, the information has to motivate action. If it does not motivate action, um, you know, then like I said, you will have you'll be able to have some good conversations, um, but you're not going to have any fruit to show that you truly care about the issues of racial injustice. So what do I mean? As much, I had a teacher once in undergrad, um, one of my favorite teachers in the Department of Pan-African Studies at Kent State University. Um, and one of my favorite, the craziest thing about my favorite professor in the Department of Pan-African Studies at Kent State University is he was white. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> professor Jim Wheel, he was white. And he came and he said something. He was like, I know more about the black experience than any of you black students in here. That got some attention, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, I know more about it, but I don't have it like any of you. Mm, right on. And the only way he comes to that type of conclusion is by having relationships with mm. people in the black experience to recognize where he realizes and he knows that, yeah, I have a lot of knowledge, but I don't have the experiences. And it's those experiences that's really going to make us have, a, uh, it's really gonna shift our perspective on how we see our African-American brothers and sisters. You know? Because if you did not know anybody African-American and that incident happens to you in the store where the person is might not giving you good service because your Black Lives Matter shirt, then you're going to have an attitude. But you're not going to go home and say, brothers and sisters that go through, and that's going to make you look at everything different. So you got to have the relationship. Another reason you got to have the relationship. Go ahead. Well, and if 
the the relation it's the way I've thought about that before is the issue of cancer. So let's switch issues for a second. Like cancer is a big problem. And uh, what's interesting, you'll see people like marching for cancer to raise money for cancer. And right. who are those people that march? Usually it's people whose lives have been impacted by cancer. Maybe they don't have it themselves, right? Because personally, I've never done a march to raise money for cancer. But interestingly enough, if, if my wife gets cancer, I'm likely to soon be one of those people. So what happened is, not that cancer happened to me, but all of a sudden I had a relationship with somebody who was impacted by cancer. All of a sudden I care about cancer at a level I never have before. And so one of the things I like about the relationship angle is by enriching my life with relationships, real substantive relationships with people of color. Now, when the cancer of racism happens to them, I care because it's happening to people I care. It doesn't happen to me, but it's happening to people I care about. But if I don't have anyone I care about that is a person of color, it's hard for me to care about racism. And so, so to, and it's not going to happen to me. I'm white. Uh, so, so to attach myself to people that it does happen to, and now I vicariously, I greatly care about it. Perfect analogy. Perfect. Yeah, and I've learned too with, I mean, it, it takes intentionality to, to get those relationships. Mm-hmm. And I know my wife and I, Pastor Brennan, we've been, been hanging out with some people from your church, Span, and, and we've gone to some cookouts, and it's, and it's been different for me. Like Good going, food, though. Yeah, That's great food, food, great food. So, yeah, and, but <laughs> it's like I've, I'm not used to being in a situation where I'm in the minority, and if, I didn't inten- if we didn't intentionally as a family decide, like, we want to be more in the black culture and understand it and celebrate it, we wouldn't naturally go to that cookout. But we put ourselves there, and it's... Gosh, it's been eye-opening. It's been learning. It's been a big learning experience for me. And you got some good people over there too, man. Oh, good thank people, you. So, I yeah. like to think so. <laughs> so for sake of time, guys, kind of want to just wrap up with one question. I mean, as, as we think about what do we do now, you guys shared some stuff, relationships, education. Uh, someone might be listening to say, okay, I'm ready to educate. I'm really ready to get those relationships. But maybe they're nervous about offending someone of color and maybe they're offend or they're nervous of what if I say the wrong thing what can we say to those people because we want them to speak up but they might be nervous what would we encourage them with well I'm gonna start with that one uh when in doubt you better ask somebody <laughs> racism and racist issues for the majority of African Americans It's a very sensitive subject for them because they've experienced it. They've been the victim of it. They've been uh, in some way uh, uh, put at a disadvantage because of it. So you have to be very careful with that. You know, it's like holding somebody else's baby. Mm. It's not yours. (laughs) It's theirs. You know what I mean? And you have to be very careful and delicate. And you should ask questions. Should I do this? Can I do that? Can I not do this? Can I not do that? Um, because it's their baby. And it's not like we are using, and we want, we don't want to use uh, racism so we can be these perpetual victims all the time, but it's just so painful, and the scars and the wounds are so deep for so many people. So when you see people out here crying in these protests and screaming and jumping up and down and weeping and yelling, you know, that's not because they woke up and had a bad bowl of cereal. 
Hmm. It's because of a lifetime of dealing with this. It's because of a lifetime of hearing of their parents' struggles and their brother's struggles. And, you know, it's a lot. So you have to ask the right questions so we do not offend, which goes back to the relationship thing. Hmm. To ask the right questions um, and, and make sure that you are putting yourself in position to be an ally that people can trust and rely on. And that's going to take time. That's going to take more than statuses and Instagram <laughs> posts. That's going to take time. It's going to take more than going to meetings and stuff like that. It's going to be, you have to commit yourself to this if you want to become a voice that is trusted in this. Which is part of our story together, that uh, we had been building relationship, not over racial issues, uh, but but just building relationship. And then when Ferguson happened, uh, and we were able to start to say, okay, let, let's talk about that, and that developed over time. And so this is more of a crockpot thing than a microwave, that to be able to, to start to invest in intentional, as you said, Pastor Austin, intentional relationships to build those so that now I have a network or at least a go-to person that I can say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this post on Facebook. What do you think about that? And I can ask somebody that actually has the black experience uh, to, to weigh in. And, and so, again, it's building relationship intentionally, but it takes time. time. And that's what I think this time, these times, this time around, this issue is, is proving that white people commit themselves to it. I, that's what I'm sensing. This is unprecedented. Like, committing themselves to this. They want to know more. They want to learn more. And they don't want to see George Floyd anymore. They don't want to see that happen to anybody else. So I'm encouraged by that. And you just said George Floyd, and it occurred to me I should have said Michael Brown. Because mm-hmm. I said Ferguson, mm-hmm. and I should say his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, guys, thanks so much for for sharing your thoughts. This is already a little bit longer than normal, which is totally fine. This is an important topic we want to spend time on. But before we wrap up, is there any closing things you guys want to say before we sign off? Well, once again, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me to continue the conversation. Um, And that is what impresses me most about this. I get asked to do these things, and it's usually, okay, come and satisfy the moment, and then, you know, we'll call you again at the next crisis, Um, but that you guys are continuing. And my encouragement to you all in this room and to everyone on the podcast, please continue the conversation. Let's latch on to this and let's continue to ride this until we begin to see real change starting to manifest, not just in our country, but in our church. We start noticing differences and you start to notice the climate change. That is my encouragement to Redemption Chapel right now. I love that, brother, because I had a lot of follow-up questions from the Q&A we did, and they said, when are you going to do part two? And I said, what do you mean part two? We're already on part five, six, I don't, you know, somewhere in there. So it's an ongoing conversation, absolutely. And I always love doing it with you. I love you saying that you feel at home here. Anytime I'm at SPAN, that's a second home to me. That's family to me. Uh, and so it's always a pleasure to have you here alongside us, brother. We love you. We love SPAN. Thanks so much for your time and helping us continue to improve because this is a sanctification issue. Mm-hmm. This is honoring to God, and our hope is in Christ that we all go home from this 
broken, oppressive world someday, but as so long as we're here, let's get a foretaste of heaven and let's get there and let's help out. And I love that we're making progress there. And I'm so grateful to you, Pastor Brennan, for your help in that. Oh, amen. Well, I'm here. Just let me know when you need me. All right. Then. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Redemption Unscripted, and we hope you'll tune in next month for another episode. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. To catch the latest episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us. For more resources like this, visit our website at www.redemptionchapel.com grow. We hope you join us next time on Redemption Unscripted.